Thank you for joining me for quite excellent episode number 59. Today we have a poem that responds to one of the first poems we explored this academic year, Nikki Giovanni's Allowables. Allowables was introduced in episode 55, a poem about someone reflexively killing a spider before realizing how vulnerable and innocent it was. I encourage you to listen to episode 56, where I shared my students' analysis of Giovanni's poem. This week's poem, titled Mercy, offers us a similar situation, but a different outcome. In this poem, Rudy Francisco presents a text that substitutes the regret of allowables for a measure of hope, even as the vulnerability of Giovanni's poem is still very much present. Like allowables, it is a poem about a spider and someone making a choice. But it is also about more than just people making choices about spiders. I'm very excited to see what my students do with this poem. Not only are students free to explore this poem by itself like they always can, but a few may push themselves to compare how mercy seems to speak and maybe respond to allowables by comparing the choices that Francisco makes here. And there is so much to chew on. It is a proper meal of poetic choice, from the differences in tone to the very different stanzaic structures to word choice. I'm very excited. First, however, we need to get back to Laura Hershey's poem, How to Write a Poem. Here's the poem read by me this time. To hear the excellent reading by Michael Dubon, please take a listen to the previous episode. How to Write a Poem by Laura Hershey Don't be brilliant. Don't use words for their own sake or to show how clever you are, how thoroughly you have subjugated them to your will, the words. Don't try to write a poem as good as your favorite poet. Don't even try to write a good poem. Just peel back the folds over your heart and shine into it the strongest light that streams from your eyes or somewhere else. Whatever begins bubbling forth from there, whatever sound or smell or color swells up, makes your throat fill with unsaid tears, whatever threatens to ignite your hair, your eyelashes, if you get too close, write that. Suck it in and quickly shape it with your tongue before you grow too afraid of it and it gets away. Don't think about writing a good poem or a great poem or a poem to end all poems. Write the poem you need to hear. Write the poem you need. Students had a lot of great things to say about this poem, and it makes sense to start with what they think this poem says about poetry. I mean, it's what the poem's about, right? A student notes that in that moment where it says, don't write as good as your favorite poet. And this seems to suggest to the student that when writing a poem, it should never live up to the expectations of another poet's work, with another student saying that the author implies that writing a poem shouldn't be for boasting, but rather to express how you feel, and that not trying to be great necessarily, but instead trying to represent something true. Both here and where it says not to even try to write a good poem, a student writes that the author does not want the reader to write in a certain way. She wants the poem to be natural and from the heart with no outside influences. Another notes that we do not need to use fancy terms or write. 
especially well or an imitation of others, because all that matters is that the poem reflects upon ourselves, upon who we actually are. And also what matters to us. The student says that Hershey recommends that the subject of the poem be about the, an idea that the author instinctively has an urge to share, and that this ensures the poem's meaning is true, and that it more effectively reaches the reader. A peer writes that we should write about something that is intimidating, that will, quote, ignite their hair, their eyelashes if they get too close. Write something that moves the writer. And if it moves the writer, it will move others. Another response notes the punctuation in that really affirmative, write that. This student says that that period acts essentially as a command. It's an instruction of what to do, not just a suggestion. Write that is so affirmative and powerful that it propels the listener to actually create. Now, the meaning here is created by the composition of the poem. The student writes that the subjective imagery shows how emotional and powerful a poem can be. Whether you are reading it or writing it, it can be something that makes your throat fill with unsaid tears, that threatens to ignite. And this indicates how powerful poetry and the language within a poem can be. And on the subject of language, there's that moment where a student says, you have subjugated them, the words. And here the student really cleverly notes that this word subjugated has a lot of connotation. The student writes, Hershey compares inferior writing to condemned people. Continuing, words should be treated as individuals rather than being suppressed. Also, by breaking up this line, the enjambment turns the words into them to further disassociate the term as an object. It splits those two words, them. When thoughts threaten to ignite your hair, then write that. This is a kind of paralleling the idea of anticipation. The author reveals that a thought can never be ignored, similar to someone's burning hair, which, yeah, good point. It is hard to ignore burning hair. And that's a heck of an image to show the necessity of writing what matters. Now, that is not the only reference to enjambment here. I ask students to write about enjambment for this poem uh, because it is an essential term for really talking about poetry and things that poetry can do that other kinds of writings can't do. One student writes the line, don't try to write a poem as good as your favorite poet, takes that initial line, don't try to write a poem. And it makes this statement, what sounds negative, into something that's positive. The first line almost seems off-putting, but the next line turns this into inspiration to actually do some writing, to write a poem. Another student writes that enjambment of don't even try to write creates uncertainty, maybe even anxiety, but finishing with a good poem offers relief. Oh, I just have to attempt, the student imagines the writer thinking. Not try and make it great or even good at best, just make the attempt. Another student adds on that this enjambment shows that we shouldn't try to feel certain emotions or use the most sophisticated words. Hershey wants to leave an open thought, suggesting that all types of writing are permitted, are encouraged, even. In another place, by enjamming and shine into it, into its own line, 
A student writes that Hershey is urging the writer to disregard anything that is unrelated to what is in their heart and on their mind. It makes this statement more of an order, and that's an effect of the enjambment of those lines. Elsewhere, we have enjambment where the poem says, Whatever sound or smell or color swells up, makes your throat fill with unset tears. And the students suggest that these enjambed lines create shifts from smells and colors into the uncertainty of emotional turmoil held within the surface of words. It's mixing our emotional uh, experience with the literal experience. And it's doing all that through the imagery of that series. Now on the broader use of enjambment, what is it doing everywhere, altogether? A student suggests that the author uses enjambment throughout the poem to help us see what we think needs to be there before seeing what she thought needs to be there. And I think this is an interesting idea. I think the suggestion here is these enjambed lines often create a measure of suspense or uncertainty. Uh, They maybe lead us in a direction where the poem doesn't actually follow. And it encourages the reader to complete the thought themselves before returning to Hershey's position. It allows the reader to like bask in their own thoughts before Hershey offers her own answers. I think it's a really clever idea. Another interesting exploration of a jamming is when a student wrote that the poem actively encourages the reader to make mistakes. This student is imagining readers who don't read poetry, who are less familiar with it. And they suggest that if the reader did not know what enjambment was, they might consider this lack of punctuation a mistake, despite being an intentional choice. And in a way, it might encourage less confident readers or less familiar readers to ask questions. Why is it like that way? Why is it missing this punctuation? What effect does that have? And given that the poem is really about providing advice, I think this is a great idea that the poet would want amateur writers, amateur poets, if there is such a thing, to just play and wonder about what is right, what is wrong, is there a wrong, what else is possible. A number of students explored the subject of structure, and I I always love when students play with how different aspects of the composition of a poem work. One writes that in How to Write a Poem by Laura Hershey, the author uses constant but subtle repetition to develop emphasis and rhythm. They repeatedly use words don't at the beginning of lines, lines one, two, six, and eight. And it really emphasizes the common mistakes made when we try to create. The student continues to say that the first portion focuses on that don't, that repetition. The second portion, however, switches to a focus on the word whatever. More repetition, though. And then we have this enjambed line. Don't even try to write a good poem. It separates the good poem into its own little space. The student then says that this kind of enjambment, this kind of repetition creates a shift. It feels like a breath in the middle of the poem before the shift. So this enjambment helps understand where the tonal breaks are. And that's a, that's a lovely idea. I think it's a really interesting read to see how we can use punctuation or the lack of to indicate where the major elements of a poem can be. Now, I mentioned last episode that this poem, while it's about poetry, of course, might also be about other things, other choices 
that we make, and a number of students decided to explore this. One wrote that the overall message goes far beyond the scope of simply poetry. Write the poem you need can effortlessly have the words write or poem swapped out with dancing, songwriting, watercoloring, sketching. The student sees the poem as being not just about poetry and the writing of poetry, but the doing of anything that's artistic and creative. I love that. That's wonderful. Another writes, Laura Hershey expresses that the best way to be great is not to copy someone who is or, or was great, but to do what you want to do and how you want to do it. They write, don't think about is enjammed. And what this does for the poem is that it creates a sense of do not worry about it and makes the poem a little bit more relaxing. I think the student is saying that it emphasizes trusting yourself. Another suggests that the idea that being yourself is enough and that you don't need to meet the expectations of great people as long as you yourself are content with your own work, that's enough. That's a great reading of this poem and a great, honestly, way of viewing the world and making choices about our own actions. A student suggests that this idea of writing a poem not for others, but for yourself, can be generalized beyond the poem, beyond poetry. In life, there are plenty of things to do but you shouldn't do something simply for someone else, only to meet their demands. I'm all for it. Don't disregard people entirely, but maybe don't do things entirely for them in isolation. Maybe we should consider about our own needs as well. That seems reasonable to me, especially when we're being creative, especially when we're making choices about how to express ourselves. Finally, a student suggests that the guidance on how to write a poem also serves as guidance on how you should build your personality, not influenced solely by others, but also by what you need, what satisfies you, what makes you feel like you've achieved what was necessary. And I'm, I'm here for it. Not only did we get some great poetry exploration, but we got some wise words from people who are maybe too young to be quite so wise, and I'm all about it. I like everything that I heard. I'm excited for more poetry, more reading, more analysis, and I cannot wait for our next poem. But we are not ready for the next poem. Not just yet. We still got to talk about our writing task and our secret passphrase. But honestly, before I do any of that, I need to say that I was impressed by students' exploration of enjambment. It is one of the most essential terms to exploring how poetry can do things that other forms of writing just cannot and not especially straightforward either, but I hope some of my students keep it in their arsenal as they see and analyze new poetry. I don't recommend it as the focus of an entire response, but as a piece of evidence proving a larger point, it can really show you know your stuff. Okay, now, this week, we are going to focus on something a bit more generalized, a writing seal that benefits all of our writing. Variety. To keep our readers engaged, we must write in a way that offers them satisfying writing. Writing that is too predictable becomes boring. Stale. So, our writing task is focused on one way that we can create variety, and that is by looking at sentence openings. Your task is to ensure that each of your sentences begin differently. No sentence in the entire paragraph should start with the same word or phrase. Note, in longer pieces of writing, like a full-length essay, some sentences are going to start the same way. That's okay. That's fine. But in writing this short, we can absolutely keep every single sentence opening fresh. 
Now, our secret passphrase is one I've already mentioned at the beginning, vulnerable. The word seems like it is essential to understanding this poem and possibly Nikki Giovanni's allowables as well. You can use the word in any form. Vulnerability, for example, is fine as well. One quick note before we get to the next poem. This poem includes a first person, I. Students may be tempted to write about how Francisco is told to kill a spider and how he responds, but I'd like you to hesitate. While some poetry is absolutely about the poet specifically, poetry often creates characters and situations, just like short stories and novels do. So I'd like to encourage you and remind you that we have the word, the speaker, when referring to that first person narrator. Unless you can be 100% sure that it is the poet speaking for themselves, thoughtful writers use the speaker when there is a narrator that is part of the poem's situation. This week's poem is read by Stephen Potts, a friend who helped me with a recording of a Dunne Smith poem back on episode 38. Here is Mercy by Rudy Francisco. Mercy, after Nikki Giovanni. She asked me to kill the spider. Instead, I get the most peaceful weapons I can find. I take a cup and a napkin. I catch the spider, put it outside, and allow it to walk away. If I'm ever caught in the wrong place at the wrong time, just being alive and not bothering anyone, I hope I am greeted with the same kind of mercy. Students, be sure to use the word vulnerable in some form and ensure there is variety in each of your sentence openings. We don't want any two sentences to start the same way. You should also keep in mind our previous writing tasks such as using the poet's last name by itself once you've used the full name, using short quotations, fitting multiple short quotes in a single sentence, and maybe even using literary devices like imagery with an adjective before them. There is even some enjambment here to play with, if you're up to it. If you enjoy this podcast, have suggestions, or would like the class to direct their eyes toward a particular poem or poetic device, leave a comment at lightandteaches.com or on Twitter. I am at lightandteaches. The content of this podcast is used as a companion to class instructional activities and ownership of these texts remain with their stated authors. Thank you for joining me for episode 59 of this podcast. I hope that between now and the next time you hear from me, you discover and savor a few things that you yourself find quite excellent.